welcome to the Evidence-Informed Teaching Podcast. Are you a teacher wanting to improve your classroom practice and deliver excellent teaching through access to research? Do you have a passion for teaching and are looking to connect with other like-minded colleagues through professional discussions? The Charter College has partnered with TeacherTap to support teachers to deliver excellent teaching through access to research and we invite you to be part of this community. On this podcast you will hear from fellow teachers, research experts and you have the opportunity to be part of this professional discussion. You can find out more about the Charter College of Teaching and TeacherTap in the show notes and if you find this episode helpful why not share it with a teacher friend take a screenshot and post it on your social media or even better leave us a five-star written review so hello and welcome everybody to the new episode of evidence-informed teaching the joined podcast from the chartered college of teaching and teacher tap today we'll be talking about a really important issue in education and one that unfortunately is often overlooked Um, which is the issue of teacher well-being. We'll be taking a close look at the research on teacher well-being and its links to student mental health and outcomes. And this will be followed by another joint episode with education support focusing specifically on well-being in ethnic minority teachers, in which a group of educators will share their lived experiences. As always, in these episodes, I'm joined by Karen Vespiza from TeacherTap, who will share the latest insights on teacher well-being and student well-being, and Lisa Maria Muller, our Head of Research, who will share some of the college's research on teacher well-being. And today I'm delighted to introduce our special guest, who is Dr Rachel Briggs. Rachel is a former primary teacher, SENCO, DSL and Deputy Head. She has a doctorate in education where her research focused on teacher well-being and how it can be supported when teaching pupils experiencing vulnerabilities and or trauma. She now offers reflective supervision to school staff and training on understanding and supporting educators' work-related psychological well-being. So thank you so much for joining us today, Rachel. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to see you. Lisa Maria, can we start with you? You and your research team have conducted um, research into teachers' perceptions of student well-being, um, and that took place right at the start of the first COVID lockdown. What are some of the insights from that research? Thanks, Alison. Yes, indeed. So um, at the start of the very first lockdown, uh, my colleague back then, Gemma Goldenberg, and I thought um, to ourselves, well, we really ought to look into the research on what the potential impact of school closures could be on students' well-being. So we looked at research um, from previous crises such as um, hurricanes or other natural disasters, but also terrorist attacks, um, and had a look at um, what the impact could be um, on student well-being, but also student outcomes um, and teacher well-being um, back then, and we'll get to that um, in a minute. Um, And following that, we then asked uh, members of the Chartered College to share their experiences, because, of course, this was um, a novel situation to all of us. And um, in that research, over 98% of teachers felt um, that the well-being of at least some of their students has been negatively affected by the partial school closures and lockdown measures. Um, so it's really important to note there that um, it was um, that teachers felt that um, even though it wasn't all of their students, 98% felt that at least some of their students were negatively affected. And there were some 
um, insights about potential positive impacts on student um, mental health as well during that time. So those who might struggle in, um, in a school environment, for example, or those with um, particular special educational needs who benefited um, from a home learning environment. But there were real concerns about student mental health at the time. And 33% of teachers um, thought at the time that the net well-being of their students, the well-being, sorry, of most or all of their students had been negatively affected. So that's one third of our respondents, which really highlighted the need um, to focus on students' mental health and well-being, not just students' academic progress, um, which was very much the focus of a lot of conversations at the time and continues to be. Um, the focus of um, a lot of conversations. Teachers also highlighted the need to recognise that recovery will take time. As I said, then in our follow-on um, reports in 2021, um, we confirmed that uh, student well-being continued to be negatively affected, and especially those from disadvantaged backgrounds, which of course was highlighted by other organisations as well. There's pretty clear evidence from these studies that students' well-being and potentially attainment has been negatively affected. But also we're thinking about teachers, aren't we, in this space? Staying with the students for a minute though, Karen, what does the latest data tell us about student well-being? Have students recovered since the lockdown? Yeah, so we, we ask about these types of issues quite frequently on TeacherTap, but it's probably important just to, to state before I delve into that too much, that this is all based on teacher self-report, teacher opinions, teacher perceptions. We're not using or reporting any medical data sets or anything other than teacher tap responses, just because this is such a sensitive area. I just really wanted to make that clear. The teacher tap responses, though, are a nationally represented picture of what's going on in England school. So it, it's a great data set, but I just wanted to put those caveats out there. I think what we've seen on teacher tap is that teachers widely recognise that poor mental health amongst students is a really big barrier to learning, more so, according to the teachers, than any of the other areas that we ask about. So that includes things like SEND and attendance or even prior learning. Mental health can be a bigger barrier, uh, in their opinion, than any of those other areas. And within just one six-month period, last year when we were asking 79% of teachers told us that they had witnessed a student with mental health needs that were so acute that they raised these as safeguarding issues. According to the TeacherTap data that makes mental health one of the top reasons for safeguarding concerns being reported during that period. Having said that, it's then quite worrying that mental health was also the area within safeguarding as a whole where teachers told us most often that they needed more training. And that's by quite a long way. And we see the same when we ask, uh, where do you need more training uh, when it comes to students with special educational needs and disabilities? Again, here they identify uh, social, emotional and mental health as the area where they, they just really want to know more. And teachers also want something done about this. And so we ask teachers on TeacherTap, we, we have this lovely ability to ask these quite hypothetical questions. And we said, if you could direct a billion pounds of spending to only one thing in education, what would you choose? And 71% of teachers came back and said that they would choose to spend that money on mental health support, which was second only in our, our ranking list to teacher pay. 
all of this isn't to say that schools and teachers aren't already addressing this in many different ways. Half of teachers told us that they are actively making changes to embed mental health and well-being across the curriculum. So things are changing, things are being done in the light of those quite shocking statistics. I mean, they really are quite dramatic aren't they? Mm. Quite dramatic statistics. I mean, we've, we've been trying at the Chartered College to provide information via our pedagogy and practice series with ACAM. So information about things like um, how to support young people with anxiety or sleep deprivation or eating disorders, these kinds of things, because teachers are very concerned and they want to help. And, you know, as we're about to hear um, in more detail, you know, it does impact teachers' mental health and teachers' well-being when they're trying to support their students, particularly if they feel out of control and they don't know what they should suggest and where they can signpost. And even when you do signpost, of course, the services that used to exist very often don't exist. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a real issue. Rachel, please, can you tell us about your research on, on secondary traumatic stress? You know, what have you found? And, you know, is, are there any reasons to be cheerful at all? Anything that we can uh, come think about that we might do about this? Thank you. My research was conducted prior to the pandemic, but it's almost um, even more relevant now than it was then because of uh, things that you've been talking about, particularly Karen, that you were just talking about then, about the increased need and lack of support services really the lack of the traditional support services and teachers that aren't trained what they're seeing and hearing is something that creates common shock basically you know anybody anybody would be shocked but also the fact that they are completely immersed in it and wanting to make a difference to it um, and to alleviate other people's suffering puts them at a high risk of secondary trauma or what I went on to call it I started off talking about secondary traumatic stress but I changed to um, and now use the term compassion stress injury because it's a, a more recent addition to the field and um, takes into account the more of what's known now about the neurophysiology of the way that the way that we work compassion stress injury which is an overarching term um, made by Russell and Brickell <laughs> they use it to draw together compassion fatigue secondary traumatic stress and vicarious trauma and all of these they say are a very similar concept um, and it results from the severe emotional detriment from second-hand experience of suffering coupled with a desire to alleviate it rather than a direct personal involvement in a traumatizing event. Having an understanding of compassion can help us to really appreciate what compassion stress is and why teachers are at risk from it. I've used Strauss and colleagues' definition of compassion because they refer to five elements. Um, the first two, recognising suffering and understanding the universal, universality of suffering, which is that if I was in a different situation, that could easily be me, that something was happening to. And then where the compassion stress injury part comes in is that emotional res resonance, the feeling em empathy towards other people. And whilst empathy can be positive, so Alison, you were just saying, you know, what are the reasons to be cheerful? There is something called compassion satisfaction as well, which is the other end of the scale where we can feel positive about the difference that we've made and, be, and being able to alleviate other people's suffering. For the compassion stress injury part, it's the suffering with and connecting to other people's suffering and the negative emotional contagion that goes with that. So being around other people that are sad, 
we can catch effectively their, their sadness. Although I think there is a caveat there as well, because we haven't experienced the same things as other people have. We can only rely on our perceptions of what we think their, suf their suffering is. So which might not be how they're feeling at all. Yeah, so that's the, the negative emotional contagion there. The fourth element of Strauss and colleagues' um, definition is around being able to tolerate the uncomfortable feelings aroused when we're exposed to other people's suffering. And then that allows us, the tolerance allows us to remain open and accepting of the person who's suffering. If we can't do that, we can become overwhelmed and unable to tolerate the uncomfortable feelings. That can make us want to get away. And certainly for teachers, you can't just get away. You know, if you're in a class of 30 children and somebody says something to you, you haven't got time to just disappear off for a few minutes. You've got to control your emotions and be seen to remain professional at all times. So that can be, that can be quite challenging. And then the fifth element is the motivation to act to alleviate the suffering. And as we were just saying before, what can happen there is teachers can feel powerless and frustrated and hopeless at not being able to make a difference because they don't have this, they don't have the understanding, they don't have the training, they don't have the time to be able to do the things that they want to be able to do. So then just very briefly in terms of how do we recognize compassion stress injury? Overall, it disrupts our sense of who we are, who others are and our sense of safety and security. So unlike something like burnout, which comes with dissatisfaction, CSI can result in fear, that's the main thing, and that we can start to think that the world is a bad place and that the world is a dangerous, dangerous place and experience disturbing emotions of sadness, hopelessness, guilt and powerlessness are the main ones, and that can result in, in us putting distance between ourselves and the students or the person who's suffering, which then obviously stops us having a compassionate response, depleted personal resources. And also one of the key things is around emotional, uh, sorry, intrusive imagery, where we start to see things happening based on what we know of what's happened to what's happened to other people. And it comes from the kind of things that we're seeing and hearing. And then one of the key things is around um, not being able to sleep and poor boundaries and it's different to the kind of not being able to sleep where uh, because you're you're stressed around other things that might happen to you at school you might be lying in bed concerned about what is happening to your students it's very different to being concerned about oh if I haven't marked this I could get into trouble it's around that what's happening to other people. So there's a very real chance that this is contributing to the poor retention of colleagues in schools isn't there you know this the, the notion that this the, the description that you give of, of what it feels like to absorb others experiences and and in in the process of trying to help you actually start to sort of injure your own self through yeah. that compassion yeah. um it's quite alarming I mean I I hadn't heard it expressed in quite that, that detail before that's one of the key things when I talk to teachers and professionals from other sectors this is really well known this concept is really well known and Lisa you wrote about it didn't you which Lisa Maria sorry you wrote about it which is why I contacted you because I saw that you'd written something about secondary trauma a common response is I'd never heard of it but mm. actually yes it is so 
relevant and it's it's happening all the time for for teachers but it is recognized in other professions whereas in teachers as soon as they know about it they're like yeah that's so obvious but they don't want to admit to it because they see it as a personal weakness rather than a natural reaction to that kind of exposure and and sorry i'm just going to ask you another one because i'm so fascinated in terms of this this notion of um emotional contagion if you're around people who are sad then you start to kind of it it, those negative emotions impact on you presumably that's also happening amongst our students because you know we have to, we've had such an increase in um self-report of of mental um ill health amongst our young people presumably all of the the anxiety that is being experienced by some individuals then also impacts others around them and makes it worse I would imagine so it's not something that it's not something that I looked at because I didn't look at the students but now with with the work that I'm doing in schools with particularly pastoral staff is where I do most of my supervision um, and safeguarding teams yeah you know if, if somebody is there who's dis who's distracted can't concentrate can't focus on their work then also they can take teachers t- teachers time other things can escalate you know if they're they can't emotionally regulate that can disrupt others it can result can result in in fights or disagreements so yes but there is also the positive as we say around that positive emotional contagion as well so that em- empathic response and i do think often when we talk about well-being we don't always think about the positives and it's around having it's around having a balance of positives and negatives and one one of the key things as well around the negative the negative emotions is it does help us to be able to support others and without that empathic connection and without an experience of negative things that have happened to us it does limit the interaction and the support that we're able to give and i i i can completely recognize that positive experience but i also i can also relate to a feeling of helplessness if you can't actually move something forward so when you're able to help and you can see that you've been able to help that feels really good but if you if you can see that actually the needs are greater than something that you can address right now maybe because you haven't got time or maybe you haven't got expertise or whatever it may be that can feel very frustrating and difficult can't it yeah and and one of one of the things there as well I think is people are often say well teachers are social workers they're psychologists they're counsellors actually as teachers we're not and we don't have the same resources available to us so we can't provide medication if somebody's struggling to sleep we can't spend time counselling if we're teaching and we can't go into a home and remove a child who is being Mm. abused so we don't have the same kind of power but we take on all those kind of emotions and also possibly have a more significant relationship with the children in turn and their families because of the amount of time that we spend with them and we don't have the same support that a social worker would have for example do we well thank you I mean we could talk for ages but absolutely fascinating um Lisa Maria if I if I come to you can you share some of the insights that we um gained through our reports on the impact on teachers of caring for traumatized students grieving students let's think about how that affects teacher well-being 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as Rachel said, um, together with Gemma, we discovered um, what um, we called back then um, secondary or what was called in literature um, secondary traumatic stress that shows you how quickly terminology um, evolves in, in every sector. And we found it absolutely fascinating because we could also um, relate to it as former teachers. We could certainly relate to just um, the feeling of wanting to help, wanting to support a child emotionally, but really lacking the coping mechanisms. And that's um, something that has um, that we we found that really interesting in literature that it appears to be more common um, in the training of social workers. Um, or psychologists, psychiatrists, um, especially psychologists, I, I suppose, to learn how to maybe, I'm not sure, Rachel, um, correct me if I'm wrong, um, to distance yourself um, to some extent or to protect yourself at the same time whilst you're help helping the person. And whilst as teachers, uh, we are often, or teachers are very often first responders um, when it comes to the mental health of, of students, that is not necessarily part of, of teacher training. That's really something that also came through in this particular crisis situation um, during COVID. And Karen alluded to it um, as well when she was speaking about grieving. So really a large um, majority, about two thirds of our teachers and responding to the survey were um, saying that they would like um, more training on how to support traumatized and grieving students. So that was really something that was lacking and that they felt was important in their day-to-day -day practice, but obviously, um, especially um, during COVID. And it strikes me that um, during the current um, cost of living crisis, teachers must um, again be facing um, similar issues because they are um, very often the first ones to hear about um, families struggling um, financially, um, students um, struggling as a result of that, and yet again, um, they find themselves in the situation uh, where they want to support, um, uh, but they lack the, um, the coping mechanisms and the strategies and, and the training. So um, our conclusion from our research was um, that it is um, essential to provide more training for um, teachers to support um, grieving and traumatized students. And of course, part of our collaboration with ACAM on, on our webinars is about providing um, more support um, for teachers. It's just the start, um, but we're hoping that it provides a little bit more um, support in this situation at the moment. So, so what really occurs to me is that if you're a social worker, you might have an appointment where you meet a young person who's experiencing trauma, and then you go off and have a coffee break, and then maybe you go and meet someone else who's, who's going through a crisis, but you're not with them all day. If you're a primary teacher and you are trying to support a child who is traumatized, you are with them almost more time than, than their parents are with them. And I think that relationship that you, you build and that you have to sustain over time if it becomes, if it's a safe relationship, then it's much more likely the child is going to act out with you because they feel they can, because they know you're going to keep them safe. So if we multiply that across numbers of children, across classes, across groups within classes, and expect teachers to be able to respond to all of that and deal with that over time, and then across a whole week, and then have a weekend and then come back to it all again, no wonder, no wonder our profession is feeling that that's, that's really challenging um Rachel come back and tell me we need to be more positive <laughs> no no that's that's absolutely right and that's what came out of my research was just there's no downtime really so even you know if you've been punched or bitten that's quite a few of my participants had you've just got to get on with it 
and actually you are expected to carry on being nice to that student who's, who's just abused you effectively yeah. but um, also one, one thing that one participant said that really stuck, sticks in my mind was that as a social worker you know that that's what you're likely to face when you go into when you go into a meeting when you do a home visit or whatever as a teacher you go in thinking all oh, right I'm now going to teach maths and then something happens so it's that ad hoc nature and the unpredictability of it which reduces control which really adds as well to the challenges I think of, of dealing with that which is different maybe to other professions where they are expecting it. God, we're heroes, aren't we, in the classroom? We're absolute heroes. Over to you, Lisa Maria. What, what, uh, you, you it, it just made me think of a, um, of a piece of research that was summarised in our first report and which actually compared um, secondary levels of secondary traumatic stress during a, an epidemic between frontline healthcare workers and office workers in hospitals. And interestingly, the rates of um, secondary traumatic stress of office workers were higher than those um, working um, at the front line, those um, frontline healthcare workers. And the reason suggested um, in, in this article were that potentially, um, again, it's down to training because you might not um, necessarily suspect that someone um, who works in an admin role in a hospital um, will be confronted um, with, uh, with such traumatizing situations. Um, but also um, the availability of information, which again um, brings us um, back to, to the training. So as a frontline healthcare worker, not only might you have a completely different understanding of is this particular example was an epidemic, but um, the size of an epidemic, how it, how it can evolve, et cetera, than when you are fed second um, secondhand information through the, through the media, um, et cetera. And yet you are part of this environment. And that really... Um, led us to draw some some parallels um, between um, between teachers at the time um, and this particular article um, as well. Yeah, and we should say teaching assistants as well, of course, because they're of course, very yes. often completely um, <laughs> left to pick up the pieces. Um, Rachel? Yeah, just um, as well, following on from what you were saying there, I think one thing is I spend a lot of time working with people who are in purely pastoral roles. So deputy heads of year, behaviour managers, things like that, whereas heads of year um, or heads of house also have a teaching commitment, whereas sometimes that can be an additional challenge in terms of trying to fit everything in. They do get to experience some joy in their teaching and some positive relationships. Whereas those who are dealing with the pastoral side of things constantly, um, it's one thing after another, and they don't get the opportunity really mm. as often to, to have some nice things and have some fun and some joy. And I think that that is an important factor as well around the development of compassion stress injury. I think it is. And I think also it's something that I mean, we know that leaders are subject to this as well, of course, because everybody comes and tells the leader what's going wrong. But it's it's a really important aspect of the whole culture of the organisation. How do we how do we help people to balance the input of stressful situations? Thank you for joining us for the first in this two part series where we've been discussing teacher wellbeing and the impact that that has on student mental health and student outcomes. Make sure you are following the show and come back and join us next week for the second in this series.